Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the forum. Uh, today we'll be discussing the means and methods of warfare um, and the restrictions imposed by international humanitarian law um, in this regard. Um, I'm delighted to have with us Dr. Sadia Zuhur. Uh, Dr. Zuhur is an expert in international law and has served on the faculty of Bahia University and has also served at the legal and treaties wing of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Uh, so, Dr. Sadia, um, I wanted to start with uh, asking a very, you know, basic question, a fundamental question uh, about the means and methods of warfare. Okay. When we say um, that, you know, international humanitarian law restricts the means and methods of war, what do we mean by this uh, statement? So, the whole idea of IHL is to make sure that civilians are protected and um, to make sure that even combatants suffer less during the armed conflict. So um, the basic principle is that the means and methods of warfare are not unlimited. The choice is limited. So you have to make sure that you choose within those options that we, uh, the Geneva Conventions and IHL generally gives you. Mm -hmm. um, so um, we talk about means and methods. So we have to divide both of them and explain both of them. So methods are the tactics, the way the war have been conducted or the tactics during, used during the, the war. Strategies. Strategies. Okay. So, um, and you know, and then there are certain principles that dictate that, you know, you just can't commit certain crimes, for example, certain, you can't use certain strategies. For example, you can't commit perfidy. You can't use MLMs of the international uh, organization, including ICRC and UN. Mm -hmm. You can't use uh, the flag for the truce and, you know, misuse it. Um, so these are the things, these are the strategies which are prohibited. So, so, so things like faking a surrender. Faking a surrender. Um, or wearing, so perfidy, if, if you could slightly explain that. Yeah. So perf perfidy is to get the confidence of the uh, people that they are being protected or they enjoy the protection under international law. And then um, after getting that confidence from those people and when they um, surrender themselves or, or anything and then you use force against them or kill them or arrest them or um, those things. So and so, so would this also include, for example, wearing the uniform of the Absolutely. Opposing force. Yes. So, so there's a principle that you have to understand is that ruses and war are allowed, but perfidy is not. Ruses of, of war. war. Tricks and stuff. Tricks. For example, camouflage is allowed. Okay. However, if you're using uh, the insignia of, for example, ICRC and uh, try to uh, show to the enemy that you are protected. Mm -hmm. um, that's a perfidy that you can't I commit. See, I see. So the idea is that you are telling the other person that you are something else. Uh, and the other person ha giving you the con leaving you and giving the confidence perform a certain act and then you trusting you on yes, that trusting regard. you on that I so see, I see. Uh, that's prohibited so there are other things pillage for example taking hostages um, uh, I mean when there is a enemy property for example enemy weapons that you are allowed to take but mm -hmm. uh, otherwise you know looting the cities after the conquest is the prohibited um, so certain acts and strategies are not allowed in war and that's why we have a prohibition on the methods of warfare um, see, uh, and similarly the means of warfare. So there are weapons and weapon systems that are and platforms that are applied during the armed conflict. And there's also prohibition. For example, we have nuclear weapons, we have chemical weapons and landmines and biological weapons. These are prohibited. And the reason is uh, because there are fundamental principles in IHL, which, which you have to remember always, regardless of the weapon. So mm -hmm. for example, um, proportionality, or the distinction. So, if there is a weapon which is a, a weapon of mass destruction, um, these will not you will not be able to distinguish between civilian or uh, combatant. So, su such a weapon will be prohibited, regardless of whether there is a treaty or there is a customary law or not. But whenever there is a, a weapon, you have to make sure that it fulfills the condition that IHL lays down in different um, provisions uh, and in customary international law, and in some cases even with specific treaties. Um, okay. So, yeah. 
No, absolutely. And and one interesting question that comes up is is nuclear weapons. Yeah. Um, and, and so are nuclear weapons also considered because they are a weapon of mass destruction also to be considered uh, you know unlawful or restricted uh, by IHL? I think that's an interesting um, history with the nuclear weapons. So obviously you uh, I hope uh, most of the people will be aware of 1996 advisory opinion of the ICJ where actually ICJ said that you know it's not prohibited per se but it is against the principle of international humanitarian law. So a lot of people interpreted it as that no they are not prohibited. Mm. But the basic principles of uh, distinctions you know you can't when you use nuclear weapon you just cannot ensure that there is a distinction between combatant and civilians of that's, course, that's, yeah. or, or civilian objects or com combatant or, um, military, military objects. So uh, um, so there is a there was a fundamental question uh, regardless whether the treaty or not um, it was prohibited under international humanitarian law. However, now that we also have a treaty which uh, actually uh, just few months back uh, came into force, uh, and now they are actually to to uh, experiment uh, or to use them or stockpile them is prohibited under international law. Obviously, that's um, some people might still question whether they are prohibited under the customary international law. But mm -hmm. um, with regard to IHL principles and customary international uh, humanitarian law, they are prohibited. No, absolutely. I think that's um, it's a very interesting way the the law is developing in this yeah. regard. Um, but it's certainly you know one of those difficult questions to to deal with. Because how are you going to get uh, a purely military target when you have yeah. a weapon with such a large footprint? Exactly. You know, so so that becomes an issue. Um, I wanted to move on to to something that is you know looking at uh, the, this this restriction. So we have it in the Geneva Conventions or, or in the Hague Regulations uh, historically these prohibitions. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to practical war fighting, and we've heard the term you know all is fair in love and war, and and uh, I've had a, a student um, actually write that in his exam paper on IHL as well, but. Um, how do commanders in the field make determinations or take decisions regarding, you know, what means and methods are acceptable and what are not? So there are two principles um, the, or, or the two arguments that I want to give. The first is that um, Article 35 of the Digital Protocol 1, which is primarily about international armed conflict, but it's also part of the customary international law. Uh, which says that whenever there is any means and methods of warfare, uh, new means and methods of warfare, uh, you have to judge them on the basis of the basic principles. So uh, the principles are not applicable only on the technology which was used in past or presently used. It's also for the principle will remain the same even for the, any sort of technology or means or methods. So new weapons that new are developed. New weapons, yes, absolutely. So, um, so, so that. We have this uh, idea that IHL only applies during armed conflict, but there is one provision, a couple of provisions, obviously, other than the, um, you know, things that are related to armed conflict, but the training, the training part of IHL comes in hand and is applicable here. You have to train. And, and this, this applies even when a state is not in armed conflict. Absolutely. In peace time. At peace time, you have to train your people. You have to explain to them the principles so that when they are in actual armed conflict, they understand um, th those principles will come handy to them. You know, uh, they should understand whether this means or this method or this weapon is actually prohibited under international law or not. Okay. So uh, that's why this, uh, you know, the teaching of IHL and the trainings of IHL, mm -hmm. both for civilians and military uh, commanders is, uh, is important. No, absolutely. I think that it's, it's uh, you know, extremely important uh, to understand that, you know, and, and we see this when it comes to your kinetic power uh, ability that, you know, you prepare for war in times of peace. Mm -hmm. um, but that goes as much for, you know, the, the legal requirements that you need to train your people uh, in times of peace so that when they're actually in war, they don't commit war crimes. or. Um, and there's another point uh, also, which is important that, you know, people should also understand the consequences. 
um if there if there is a law and they have to follow it and then there will be consequences if they will not follow it so you know in th- in that term it's also important that you know the f- the the consequences of not following international law and the command responsibility and all those principles should also be taught uh, to all the people involved uh, possibly involved ever in, in armed conflict um and hence i think um i think what icrc does over the peace time and during the peace time uh, in all countries is important uh, and 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 regardless of international organization state itself has to ensure that their people are well versed in international law Absolutely absolutely and, and I think uh, you touched upon the the issue of domestic accountability yeah. mechanism I think that's also very very important that you know the consequences aren't just that there will be the international criminal court yeah, that is going to deal with you the first obligation is on the state right. itself if its soldiers are involved in war crimes yeah. then they have to be held accountable absolutely. um and and I think at times especially in south asia uh, where we have such you know uh, polarizing and mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, problematic issues um this thing is often lost yeah. that 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 the, you know the primary responsibility on holding people accountable for the types of uh, war crimes that are done or violations of ihl is on the state itself Absolutely. and only then the secondary i just want to add this point even with international criminal court the principle still is that if the state is not willing or is not capable of uh, putting their own people accountable only then international organizational or international court will interfere otherwise it is the responsibility of the state for first and foremost to make sure that people are held accountable for any sort of atrocities against their own people or against their um, the people of other countries absolutely yeah. absolutely no and and i think that uh, you know brings us to uh, our next point uh, what are some of the you know if people do violate the means and methods of uh, you know the restrictions on the means and methods of warfare what does this result in what are the consequences that that can practically come out from this um so the first thing is that uh, important thing is that you know whenever there are human rights violation so there is a history that will judge you and you know there are countries with strict still struggling with the war crimes that uh, they have committed during first world war or second world war and even before that mm-hmm. so obviously there are consequences uh, and you know the, all the countries do fight this narrative war war of narrative so i think it's important that when you do anything wrong or a- any sort of uh, you commit any sort of war crimes um, there is a legacy that you will leave behind and which your your um and you would take generations to fight and you know um then there there would be consequences for that Absolutely. the second thing is that obviously immediately um un security council can take action there can be sanctions there could be a, uh, not only the un sanctions but also the, the possibility of sanctions by states and powerful states for an eu for example mm. um us uh, sanctions um which can have huge economic and social and economic and political consequences for any country um and then and, and so sorry just on this point i i think the the way we're seeing sanctions develop these aren't just sanctions on a country these are individual specific absolutely as well. yes uh, they are us uh, has a, a mechanism where they are actually putting sanction in eu and uk where they're putting sanction on individuals and companies who are involved in war crimes mm-hmm. we have seen the companies uh, losing cases in germany and uh, france where they were involved in some sort of um, war crime or um, other atrocities um uh, funding isis, funding ISIS. Uh, um and so so the, now the like the consequences are not just for the individual or the state or you know uh, unknown entity people are trying to figure out who was actually involved mm. and that uh, that include the businesses who are supporting or pa- taking participation in the atrocities so we have seen the universal jurisdiction the mechanism of universal jurisdiction uh, where states are taking um 
making people accountable uh, for war crimes crime against humanity and genocide uh, and torture basically yes, so uh, so uh, people have to be careful that the consequences are huge and there and then there are secondary uh, which a uh, little less uh, consequential um, sanctions like travel bans and asset freeze um, both for states and individuals mm-hmm. um, for individuals is also uh, has huge consequences but for states is we have seen um, certain countries facing the asset freeze in recent times Absolutely, and there are yeah. huge consequent financial consequences for those countries um, so um, having said that obviously there's a mechanism where un has taken lead uh un security council uh, uh where they have established special tribunals for um investigating and punishing uh war crimes and crime against humanity and genocide we have seen it in former yugoslavia we have seen for rwanda um we have seen hybrid mechanism for lebanon um sierra leone Cambodia. Um, um so th- there are a lot of mechanisms that a UN security council can initiate um and then there is a permanent code uh, obviously a lot of countries are still not member of international criminal code but um with ICC we have seen that a lot of other countries have accepted their jurisdiction and in some cases um we have an accepted jurisdiction but uh, f- they have accepted the jurisdiction for a particular situation or for a t- particular time period and that is also interesting so um states uh and the individuals should be careful when they are committing or making policies where they are uh, indulging into war crimes or borderline to, um, committing or attempting mm-hmm. to commit genocide also there is another important factor sometimes we think that uh, when it comes to icc's accountability it's only for the member states so for example the jurisdiction is why we call it the almost universal jurisdiction is because when sometimes that co- crime is committed on the territory of the member state the individuals of the foreign who are involved in that particular uh, arm conflict are also can be held responsible so we have to be careful and i think armed forces have to be careful when they are indulging into uh, transnational uh, armed conflicts um that their accountability Can, might they, they might not be national of the state party but if they yeah. are using and they are committing any sort of war crimes on the territory of the state party they might be held accountable so i mean you know the one investigation by the uh, office yeah. of the the prosecutor right now i think that's a prime example absolutely and um well i think uh, we um, take i should take this opportunity to condemn also <laughs> what they have done uh, with regard to their decision 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 anyways uh, but that's that's actually in in a way the sort of international law i also appreciate because because uh, when you have a law when you have a, a jurisdiction um icc is in uh, right uh, in absolute prosecutor is in absolute right that he can start investigation again and make sure that those who are and and we have to understand that there's only case in icc history so far where the jurisdiction is unlimited it started off with the early 2000 and is still endless so there is no end date for that wow. so everybody ha- still involved in the conflict have to be very very careful yeah, ongoing, uh, ongoing and and also have to remember that for example icc cannot force a non state party to hand over the culprits or accused but um the naming and shaming itself is so huge that you just cannot live with this that you know a, uh, you know a country is um um having a fugitive but giving protection to fugitives or or those who involved in crimes so i think uh, states should um no, absolutely and yeah. i think that that's specifically why uh, it was so disappointing to see yeah. that the that the prosecutor has just limited it now yeah. to you know the afghan taliban, taliban or, or for those things and um there are uh, you know very serious uh, concerns that yeah. that we've had over the last Absolutely. two decades yeah. of the role of us forces or or uh, isaf uh, uh, forces in 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 afghanistan so it's it's sad let's see um, how it is i just hope that this is not a trend that the new prosecutor is is going to be establishing so uh, yeah the, i think icc also has to make sure that the people take them seriously if there is a, there is a 
uh, view that they are um, partial or you know i mean funding is always an issue for icc mm-hmm. but they can't make their decisions on the basis that the funding is not a- available for the half of the investigation and the rest of the half of the investigation cannot be covered by uh, in, regardless i think the uh, the they have to make sure that they have uh, they give confidence to people that they are a neutral organization and they are there to do justice and not pick and choose uh, what is more important for them and what is not and i think if they are making a decision that should be purely based on the principles of law and not on the flimsy excuses of funding absolutely uh, i fully agree agree with you on that um so moving on from accountability um i want to discuss you know these and you had touched upon um issues of new weapons being developed so so two particular fields one is cyber um you know warfare that's taking place and there's a entire body of literature that is now being developed but it's still in its you know uh, development phase and then of course there's lethal autonomous weapon systems so when we take this one by one mm-hmm. um so when it comes to cyber uh, warfare uh, if if you will um what do you think are the, uh, how is ihl going to develop to be able to to tackle this So I think again um both customer international law and article 35 of additional protocol 1 have laid down this principle as I mentioned earlier that um the principle regardless of the new technology the principle will remain the same mm-hmm. we will judge those technologies and the methods <coughs> and means and methods based on the existing laws now obviously i we, we will not say that the um ihl or geneva convention specifically deal with cyber warfare or cyber operation um however the principles are there and uh, you can't say that you know they are uh, cyber operations are been conducted in legal vacuum there are principles and they are going obviously we need binding principles and i think there is an intense debate um, everywhere um, mm-hmm. to make sure that we have uh, some laws and i hope that in future we will have some laws because regardless of the develop technological development of states uh, a lot of states are suffering um cyber attack and a lot of them are actually using cyber um, operations as part of their kinetic um, um, warfare um so i think there are three uh, specific um, situations that can emerge with uh, use of kinetic uh, oh, sorry um cyber warfare the first is when cyber operations are part of the ki- otherwise kinetic operations um and in that case obviously ihl will be applicable so you you have a, a war going on yes. and it's part of you know Ongoing you have war. tanks yeah. rolling in but you also have the cyber, cyber element to yes. it yes in that case ihl will be applicable because ihl actually deals with armed conflict so Absolutely. anything that happens in armed conflict uh, will be dealt by ihl so, so that that principle is settled and i think um, more or less uh, uh, customary practices and state opinion are are consistent on this and there are hardly any major uh, objection on this the second is when there is um, actually no war mm-hmm. um and then there is an independent cyber operation and in here again we have two op- uh, further uh, subsections the first one is when you have um, cyber operation um and that results into physical destruction of your civilian assets for example um um hydrogen um sorry um your dams okay. or your power plants or a hospital they're hacked into uh, hacked into it and for example the dams uh, the water has been uh, switched to the level that you know it actually uh, caused the destruction of a dam okay. which caused further destruction of cities or civilian um, property in that particular case because the destruction is similar to the destruction caused by a bomb mm-hmm. or any other kinetic operation i shall be still applicable here again we have to be careful when we talk about the kinetic operation and armed conflict because you know threshold for the international armed conflict will be different from the that of the non international armed conflict so if I, i stick to international armed conflict right now so i think um, that if any cause of destruction of civilian property might start a trigger a war uh, and or an armed conflict and hence that will also be 
um covered by ihl um obviously um icrc has this position that will be uh, that it will be covered by I, uh, ihl and other many st- states are supporting them now there comes a third and a controversial part which needs more discussion and uh, research which is when there is a um, Uh, um kinetic uh, there is no kinetic operation but there is a cyber operation which results into destruction of a uh, not a physical destruction of a, of an asset of civilian property or civilian object but for example civilian data okay or the functioning of some uh, program or for example hacking of somebody's uh, other country's tech system or um this civilian data uh, of any sort has been hacked or so for uh, example you know the national identity uh, yeah, database database right? so has you been get hacked. millions of citizens data yeah. is is hacked into would that come into this yeah, category now that's a question whether we will deal the civilian data in the similar terms that as we deal with civilian objects other civilian objects but the point is that actually it's it can affect the day to day lives of people and hence it it has the same effect as mm-hmm. like a destruction of a hospital okay. or of a um, um, power plant so if the the data of a hospital has been destroyed or mm-hmm. it will have the same impact you will stop surgeries you will not be able to carry out um, any sort of function or at least some of the function or uh, and it can actually result into um, deaths uh, Absolutely, but yeah. uh, if if there is no physical destruction or no no uh, that has been caused Direct but then cause you, yes death yeah, yeah. so then you have to like still then there is a debate whether it will still be a star, uh, triggering an armed conflict or not whether ihl will be applicable or not so there this is where um, icrc still believes that uh, in independent uh, cyber operation have the capacity uh, and the technology is such an advanced level and it will even grow further in the in the future that they will be independently be able to um, start a um, armed conflict and uh, these without even destroying uh, f- causing a physical destruction because I data see. is now uh, for example civilian data is as important as anything that uh, civilians are dependent on so um, over the banking data uh, because this is like how people um, do their transaction today Absolutely. so any sort of uh, destruction of their data uh, will ha- will impact their lives um, and so Um, this is a debatable point there there is more research that need to be done this is a question that uh, academics are discussing world over um, but um, ih uh, icrc's position is that probably ihl is also applicable in such conditions no it's 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 a very very fascinating debate discussion that's yeah, taking place and it's very exciting to see you know some of the developments that are taking place uh, in this regard and I, and i certainly do feel that without you know countries coming together to develop some consensus on how to regulate yeah. uh, this we, we are going to be facing problems in the future uh, absolutely and i think uh, for states like ours um, it is important to um, uh, to have our internal discussions and put forward the best uh, argument that serves us best because um, uh, not for just because we live in a particular uh, region um, volta region but any regardless we have to contribute and make a, a policy decision and contribute in the development of these principles um, which will govern our lives uh, for the in the near near future absolutely and, and you know pakistan as a state and, and generally even south asia yeah. needs to be playing a far greater role in getting our message across yeah. and participating engaging in the debate absolutely. at least and I, i think that's something that you know we've been currently lacking absolutely. but it's certainly an area where we need um the final point i wanted to discuss uh, lethal autonomous weapon systems um this especially when it comes to restrictions on the means and methods of warfare is is a particular concern i think that people are having and again the debate is developing as we speak so um could you maybe give us your thoughts on 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 that 
so um so autonomous weapons uh, lethal autonomous weapons and fully autonomous weapons um where the once the system has been activated they can take their um, they can choose their own targets and take action that's a, actually a problematic area where um, people have concerns and and genuine concerns uh, about machines taking decisions which are fundamentally uh, taken by human beings and especially when when it involves human be- uh, lives of civilians especially absolutely um so if there is a if there is a uh, autonomous weapon which is a, has capacity to target c- uh, civilians um people consider a lot of scholars think that such a autonomous weapons should be banned mm. um and then regardless of um, whether they are trained uh, only to target uh, military objects or uh, combatants even then they can make mistakes um so in that regard uh, scholars do think that fully autonomous weapons should be banned and there should be humans at in some sort of loop and the major decisions should be taken by uh, in, uh, in human beings otherwise there will be a problem and i this will be this will be um there will be not only legal issues mm-hmm. but moral and ethical issues uh, and obviously we need to have more discussion and more uh, research on this topic and seek how uh, the law should be developed regardless um people also believe that once uh, any autonomous weapon has been approved and is in accordance with the principle because technology is developing and you know there will be developments and there will be more new versions of it so um icrc and um, scholars support the idea that any design um they constantly should be reevaluated mm-hmm. and see how they are been developed and how they are performing because otherwise it would be impossible uh for us to make sure that these autonomous weapons uh, remain uh, within the um, prescribed limits of IHL so we, we have to make sure that the, the um the, again the same principle of proportionality distinction um the autonomous weapons are designed in a way that they don't violate those principles uh, however the machine learning and the the marvels of it uh, can do wonders mm-hmm. and because they have this uh, because autonomous weapons or uh, robots or uh, machines do not have the uh, inherent hatred for other communities Communities or people, mm, and and you know they are the neutral in that way. However, they take decisions on the basis of uh, data, which might might be true in ten times, but for the eleventh time, it might be wrong. So then you have true. to be careful, and and then you know this. Um, the profiling system mm-hmm. it's also the problem with the programs the design of the program because you are de- you are describing terrorists and combatants in a particular um, shape and color and you know distinction and features so which, essentially the, the the bias of the yes, programmer exactly. could could feed into the system absolutely so these are the problems and these are the ethical questions that people are discussing world over and the um, the debate is also ongoing at the un um icrc has uh, contributed in the debate states are contributing the debate uh, um and i think um there's much more that has to be discussed and finalized and for sure there need, there is a need for binding rules mm-hmm. uh, that states should follow um but this is this is something that you know um that challenges um lawyers um every day because technology is changing every day and you have to keep up with it and you know you have to make sure that you have rules in place a general rule in place that uh, which are already there obviously but you have to be uh, making sure you have to make sure that you have to update them and you know make sure that they are more aligned with the needs of the time um so um if uh, so, so right now the position of some scholars is at least an icrc is that um the t- autonomous weapon lethal autonomous weapon targeting civilians should mm-hmm. be banned 
No, I think that's the, and it's essentially a, well, I wouldn't even say preemptive ban now because it's been used. Yeah. So you've had yeah, yeah, the use of, uh, you know, lethal autonomous weapon systems and many people say that, you know, it's, it's very good. But I think one of the biggest concerns we're having is the accountability, yeah. right? Uh, who do you hold accountable if yes. a robot goes and, you know, commits a war crime? That, that's a problem, uh, the problem uh, with cyber also, that mm-hmm. the question of attribution and uh, that, you know, it can be a false flag and, you know, trigger a war because, you know, it take time to attribute uh, who has uh, the or the attack uh, generated from which place or originated from which place. And, you know, you can see the proxies. It might seem that one country has uh, generated the, the attack has generated from a particular country, but actually it has been diverted from, from another country. Absolutely. So the, the, even in cyber, there's a question of attribution and problem of attribution. And same is with the uh, autonomous weapons, which is um, who would be the held accountable in case uh, autonomous weapon kill uh, commits war crimes or violations uh, heinous violations of IHL. In that particular case, I think a lot of people have asked about uh, whether the um, the military which has um, uh, has asked to design that, uh, the company which has designed it, or the military which has commissioned it, or the programmer which has made the program, or the person who has uh, activated the weapon mm-hmm. system. So, the, I mean, there are a lot of questions that, you know, need to be answered. Um, obviously, those may people who are po- uh, policy makers and decision makers, the leadership positions will be held accountable regardless um, whether the things are, uh, war crimes are committed by robots or the uh, foot soldiers um, but again there, there is also a debate and there are no binding rules uh, with regard to that also and right. we haven't have any jurisprudence on that also so you know that's a uh, yeah but this is something we expect in the future yeah absolutely, uh, to, absolutely. To, to certainly be um, you know, something that, that arises there dr sadia thank you so much for joining us